Welcome to Palm Vista. We get to preach through this letter, 2 Corinthians, that Paul wrote to a church in southern Greece, in Corinth, in the first century. We've entitled the series Strength and Weakness because Strength and Weakness because God is laying down a theology of suffering, suffering and glory, strength and weakness. And we need that. We need that. And today's message is entitled Church Discipline. Isn't that exciting? Church discipline. Um, and our text is 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11. So to help you understand this idea of church discipline and perhaps to disabuse some of you of what you think it is to the exclusion of some other things, I want to use an illustration from the corporate world. And if I can introduce this phrase, corporate discipline. What do I mean by that? Any corporation that's successful is disciplined in their, in their message, is disciplined in how they train their employees, is disciplined in the processes they have to both form, I'm a little bit loud in my own ear, you know, Ivan, I live in my own head often, yes, get out of your head or something like that. Anyways, um, so any corporation has a discipline of forming their employees in a way that would enable them to find out, hey, this is what we're about, this is our vision, this is our messaging, this is our identity as a corporation, this is how we do things, this is how we represent the, the corporation, and then reforming those employees that drift away from that message. So forming and reforming. Keep that in your head uh, when we talk about church discipline. Back to the corporation illustration, probably two of the most successful corporations in having an organizational structure and, and culture that is strong, that employees buy into, that employees enjoy, would be public supermarkets and Southwest Air. Publix is the largest employee-owned grocery chain in the United States. At the time of this writing, employing over 225,000 employees, all of whom are called associates. So the founder, George Jenkins, believed in giving them a stake in the company, and they'll work harder because it's their company. And what is their byword? We're shopping is a pleasure. Or Southwest Airlines. They began flying with three planes in 1971, and today they've grown to employ more than 60,000 employees. Their culture is rich. It's one of the most celebrated assets. Their founder, Herb Keller, is credited with instilling the idea that happy employees create happy customers, and profitability follows. He's right. With core values of a warrior spirit, a servant's heart, and a fun-loving attitude, Southwest Air asks employees to embody hard work and to enjoy what they're doing. So these corporations employ discipline of message, discipline of purpose, so that they can have unity, so they, they have these processes to form the employee, to train the employee, and then... When an employee begins to go off the path to reform the employee, they don't want to just fire them. They've invested tons of money and time and, and everything into them. They want to help reform and bring them back. So that's the idea of church discipline. The two words I want you to get in your head is church discipline is both formative and reformative. Formative and reformative. They're both very important. They're both in Scripture. To help us understand that a little better, let's read a lengthy quote from Mark Dever. I don't think Mark Dever can ever have a short sermon or quote. If you've ever been to his church or listened to him, he's brilliant, but he talks a lot. But I think what he says here, and he talks very fast, 
But I think what he says here will help us. On the screen. Thank you, Amanda. In the broadest sense, church discipline is everything the church does to help its members pursue holiness and fight sin. Preaching, what I'm doing right now is church discipline. Teaching, prayer, what we did earlier. Corporate worship, accountability, relationships, and godly oversight by pastors and elders are all forms of church discipline. Think of that as formative church discipline. Formative. Got it? All right. In a narrower sense, church discipline is the act of correcting sin in the life of the body. Reformative. Employees drift, members drift away from the corporate values. Our values are right here. We're a holy people, a holy nation. Our values are God. (laughs) When we begin to drift from that, reformative church discipline calls us back, including the possible final step of excluding a professing Christian from membership in the church and participation in the Lord's Supper because of serious, unrepentant sin. See, for many of you, if you've been a Christian for a while, that's what you think church discipline is, only that. You would be wrong because you've limited it to something less than what it is. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. You got that? It's both and. Both and. Very important. And then Dever gives us two, quote, two passages, very important, Matthew 18, 15 to 20, and 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 13. In a sense, this letter of 2 Corinthians is a letter about church discipline. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to a church that he loves dearly. He's forming them, he's forming them, and then at times he's reforming them and has to speak very strongly to them. And that's what we have here in our text this morning. We really have church discipline, and we have Paul saying that it is vital that we exercise church discipline so that our our, our, our church can be strong in our mission and united in our mission. No corporation can grow to scale without corporate discipline. You just can't. If everybody's doing whatever the heck they want to do, it doesn't work. Everybody has got to be within their scope of their personalities and giving them adequate freedom. They've got to buy into the core values. They've got to buy into the core messaging. They've got to buy into what we're all about. And if you're not willing to buy into it, thank you very much. Go find employment somewhere else. In the church, God saves us. He never fires us once he saves us. He never divorces us. These are all metaphors for the church. He never puts us up for adoption. He adopts us. But you can be sure if he's adopted you and you stray, he's going to reform you. There's going to be some pow-pows. Thank God for pow-pows. If you don't know what a pow-pow is, just ask a Hispanic around you, Cuban preferably. And we need that because we're God's. It's his message. It's not mine. I can't recreate his message. I can't recast his message to what I'm comfortable with. It doesn't work that way. He saved me. I don't save myself. He called me. I don't call myself. I worship him, not myself. And we're to image him. See, this is, this is the deal. And we're to make disciples with the gospel. We're to form and reform one another. So here's the thesis. Here's, I think, the point that Paul is making here. Hopefully, you'll see it in the text. Exercise church discipline. 
both formative and reformative. Exercise church discipline to promote the vitality and unity of our mission. Exercise church discipline to promote the vitality and unity of our mission. What is our mission? Our mission is to worship God. He called Israel to worship him in the desert, to image God. We are to image Christ. That's what a disciple is, an image bearer. This is back to the beginning. And he's called us to make disciples with the gospel, to form disciples. Now, he does it all, but he calls us to participate with him. Think of it this way. What makes a church a church? Theologians have been thinking about this for a long time, particularly around the Reformation time, 1500s, because they saw the Catholic Church was being corrupted with a works-oriented salvation. So men like Luther and Zwingli and and Calvin and, and others began to think, what makes a church a church? And they boiled it down to three things. You'll find these things in in confessions like the Belgic Confession in 1517. And here's what they said. A church is a church when it teaches right doctrine. Those are the right values. Teaches the word of God correctly. By the way, this is good for you to remember if you're looking for a church. Secondly, when a church practices the sacraments rightly, there are two. Baptism, the Lord's table, communion. This is part of being a member of the church, key part. So right doctrine, right Practice of the sacraments. And you know what the third one was? Right practice of church discipline. Because because you you must be able to form disciples, formative, and reform those who are straying to guard the gospel, to guard the right doctrine, to guard the table, to guard baptism. You're not just baptizing anybody because they say, hey, I I think I'm saved. But you're saying, no, no, we're guarding it, and we're going to not throw people out permanently. God doesn't do that for his people, but we're to reform them, and the process is reformative church discipline, okay? All right, so let's see the text, if the text supports all that. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. What is the pain that Paul is talking about here? We'll take a look briefly at 2 Corinthians 2, 1 to 4. We preached it last week on the screen. 2 Corinthians 2, 1 to 4. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit. The pain that Paul is talking about in verse 5 is the pain of having to go there between the writing of 1 Corinthians and the writing of 2 Corinthians Paul made a visit to Corinth after he had planted the church, and it was a painful visit. He had to get in people's faces, and particularly one individual, one brother that we're going to read about in a moment, because that man was departing from the gospel, and he was telling people, not only am I going to deconstruct the gospel, I'm going to encourage you and teach you how to deconstruct it. Come with me. It's much better, much freer. You can do whatever you want. You can have all the benefits of heaven without God. That is not Christianity. And so this guy was powerful, and he was gaining a lot of following. And Paul says, this isn't about me. Yeah, he was bad-mouthing Paul. He was slandering Paul. He was, he, was, he was making Paul's name mud. Sure, but Paul said, it's not about me. It's about the gospel. You're lying about God, and people are believing you and leaving. It's about our partnership. So he goes, and he confronts the guy. Tough visit. 
Verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 2. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did. He's referencing a letter that we don't have. Between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there was a painful letter. There's a painful visit and a painful letter. This is the symbol for painful letters right here. I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and many tears. We talked about last week, standing firm in the faith is hard. But not one tear is wasted. Not one moment of suffering to stand in the faith, whether it's personal holiness or whether it's confronting wrong doctrine or confronting sin or crying with someone who's broken. Not one ounce of suffering is wasted. That suffering is creating an eternal weight of glory in Christ. That's what the Bible says. But I felt sure of all of you that, I, that my joy would be the joy of you all. Verse 4, for I wrote you to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Back now to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So apparently what's happened is all that pain, all that confrontation, the church has repented. The church has brought this brother who was leading so many astray into the church court and using the word of God, and has said, you must repent, and he refuses to repent, so they practice reformative church discipline, and they put him outside of the church. What Dever would say, they deny him the benefits of membership. They deny him access to the Lord's table, which is biblical for unrepentant sin. And Paul said, it's enough, because apparently he's repented. That's what's happened. That's what he means in verse 6. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Look at verse 7. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. See, church discipline is, there's an aspect of it that is reformative, but it's never vindictive. The world is vindictive. You cause me pain? Uh-huh. You, put one, of, you put, put one of mine in the hospital, I put one of you in the morgue, right? One of yours in the morgue. Sorry. Quote from the fugitive. No, the untouchables. I'm sorry, the untouchables. Stay on track, Al. Okay. Verse 8. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. He's saying you, you practice church discipline, but you got to get the reformative part right as well. Let, bring him back in. He's repented. For this is why I wrote you, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Obedient to form people properly with the word and obedient to reform those that are straying and then welcome them back when they repent. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Look at verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Outwitted by Satan. He doesn't have to work very hard to outwit me. But he's saying, collectively, let's not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. All right, so what does all that mean? I think what it means, and Amanda put it back up here, that this is the thesis. He's saying, exercise church discipline. 
exercise church discipline, if we can get that thesis back up there, to promote the vitality and unity of our mission. Exercise church discipline to promote the vitality and unity of our mission. Here's why. Three reasons why. You ready? Number one, God unites us in Christ as his family. God is the one who unites us in Christ as his family. Not Herb Keller, not George Jenkins. Those are the founders of Southwest Darren Publix, respectively. Not my own mind, what I come up with. Not some tagline that we come up with at Palm Vista Community Church. No, no. God is the one that unites us as his family. And the reason I can say that is look at verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. One's pain is the other one's pain. It's corporate pain. He didn't just pain me, he pained you and others. When people deconstruct and leave the faith, they don't just hurt themselves, they don't just hurt the person against whom they're railing, they hurt their family members, their children, they hurt the church. It's, we're in this together. And then look at verses 10 and 11. Verses uh, 10 and 11 say this. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. See that unity there? We're one. By the way, Paul wrote this from northern Greece, Macedonia, to a church in southern Greece. So he's separated by distance, but we're one. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Paul is living for them as they live for him. It's not a selfish gospel. It's not the gospel of self, which is a false gospel. It's the gospel of Christ. I give myself to you. You give yourself to me. Because God has given himself to us and we're given to him. Verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we were not ignorant of his designs. So what is Satan's design? You know what it is here? To divide us. To divide us. And so what he's saying is that Trinitarian unity, i.e., unity birth of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, have eternally been in unity. They always will be in unity. And when Jesus came to earth, he prayed for our unity as his people. Trinitarian unity... Birthed by God, sustained by God, but walked out by us. Foils Satan's designs. That's the point. Point two. Why do we exercise church discipline to promote the vitality and unity of our mission? Because God calls us to guard the gospel together. God calls us to guard the gospel together. Don't you get the seriousness of church membership in this text? This isn't just some club that we... Join. This is God's family. This is God's church. This is the church for which Jesus shed his blood. It's his church, not my church. I can't give you permission to break God's rules. It doesn't work that way. I love you, but you run the stop sign, you're going to get a ticket. Or even sadder, you're going to get T-boned by a semi and die, metaphorically speaking. So, so it's it's... We're members of the body of Christ by the blood of Jesus. That means that we're accountable to God to guard this gospel by which we're saved. And, listen, we're accountable to one another. You see, this this is talking about the, the formative church discipline. This is talking about that I buy into getting formed by the word of God, getting formed in prayer, getting formed in, in hunger and thirst nights. I thought, you, I thought it was going to be a barbecue, uh, Gerard. 
You should have just said a barbecue and more people would come, especially guys. Like, you know the barbecue we had at the man camp when, when Anthony made that beautiful? You just said that, right? But, but it's, it's, it's participating in those events. It's participating in grow groups. Listen, it's serious. we are accountable to God and accountable to one another to keep getting formed by the word of God because we are given to being not properly formed. We're easily not formed. Sometimes we're like jello rather than concrete. And, and, and I, I need you. You need me, man. We were going through Genesis over at uh, the Olson's house for my grow group. And they were helping form me. I was helping form them. It was a great time. We just concluded last week, right? It was, we're being formed by God's word. You're being formed by God's word when you get together, men, on Friday nights. You get there, and you, you listen. It's hard. I know it's hard. But then you get in each other's lives. Singles, I understand you had an event last night. Praise God. You were forming one another. Formative church discipline is happening right now as you're hearing my voice. As we worship together, as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs led by giants and, uh, and, and, and we're encouraging one another and we're singing to God, but we're, sing- we're forming our, we're being formed. Do you take that seriously? There's a world that wants to press you out of that form. Your own flesh wants to press you out of that form. We need each other. I need you to form me. And you need me. In formal uh, contexts like these, in informal contexts, on the phone, in t- with text, whatever. It's a fight. It's a fight. We're God's holy people. We're God's holy people. All right. Number three. Why do we exercise church discipline to promote the vitality and unity of our mission? Because God unites us. Because God calls us to guard the gospel together. And number three. Because God calls us to restore the repentant together. If point two is the formative discipline, then point three is the reformative discipline. Look at verses six to nine again, just to refresh your memory. For such a one, this punishment, that's that reformative church discipline, by the majority is enough, so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. That word forgive there is... Showing the grace to others that we've been given. It's, it's Paul saying, this guy really hurt me. This guy tore away from me lifelong friends. Remember, Paul really knew people. I don't know if you remember, a couple of weeks ago we preached about the personal nature of this partnership. He loved these people. The, the, some of the older women were, were like mothers to him, the, the brothers to him. And this guy turned some of them away permanently from Paul. They hated Paul. But what Paul said is that I forgive him, you forgive him, because I've been forgiven far worse. How can I have my hands choking this guy who's made my life miserable all these years? He owes me, let's say he's owed me $10,000 when God has forgiven me a $3 trillion debt I have to him. So be Christians. Rightly guard the gospel by living it rightly. So forgive him, comfort him. This is that idea of of, of welcoming him. I welcome you, brother. It's not a vindictive thing. It's a restorative thing. Come on back. And love, you see that? Verse 8. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. He's repented. Reaffirm your love for him. And why? Why? Here's why. 
Because just as unity foils Satan's designs, so forgiveness foils Satan's designs. Remember, he wants to bring disunity. Look at verses 10 and 11. Church, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. That's what he's saying. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. I forgive him for your sake. For my sake, I'd want to like be rude to this guy a couple of more years. But for your sake, I'm forgiven him. And for the sake of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, because he's forgiven me. What a hypocrite I would be. And then look at verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. Oh, church, forgiveness foils, exposes Satan's plans. Don't be outwitted by Satan. Forgive. When Jesus was on the cross where he took the wrath that we deserve, where he forgave us, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the whole universe, time stood still. Everybody realized, Satan went, oh, man, at that moment, sin and Satan were defeated. And three days later, death is defeated through forgiveness that none of us deserve. That defeats evil. It's hard. It will cost us. But it won't cost us anything near what it costs Christ. And if we keep our eyes fixed on the glory to come, this horrible suffering, and it is suffering, God gives us the mercy today to walk through it. What a reward. Forgiveness spoils Satan's designs. Forgive as you've been forgiven. So here's, here's the appeal, church. Put it back up there, Amanda. Basically the thesis of the message. Exercise church discipline to promote the vitality and unity of our mission. Thank you, Roxanne, for your prayer. I agree with you. There's more work to be done, isn't there? There are people right in this neighborhood waiting. God's elect. God's going to send us. And he's going to send us as we stay disciplined to his message, his values, his corporate identity, if you want to use those terms. The church is the church as we teach and live right doctrine, as we make ourselves avail of ourselves these, these um, formative structures. Look, we've got grow groups coming up the first week of April. We've got some great grow groups coming up, man. Circle it. If you can make it there, if your schedule allows, be there. And if you can't, pray for those that are going. We've got ladies' groups and men's groups and youth groups and singles' groups and informal Bible studies and prayer times that are being led. See that as a formative church discipline to promote the vitality and unity of our mission. And pray for us as pastors. As quite frankly, we bear the, the, the brunt of the leading edge of the reformative church discipline, but you're part of it too. But never be vindictive. That just because someone says something online in a post or you know, drags your name through whatever. You know, you know what I do? I think, even if it's not true what they're saying there, I know I'm far worse than anybody knows that I am, so, you know, why am I all freaked out here? Jesus is Lord. He's forgiven me so much. It still hurts. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. What do I have to hide? Why do I always have to be right? Why do I have to be vindicated? I want to be restorative. To do that, someone has to say, I forgive. So, 
How do we do this? How do we exercise church discipline to promote the vitality and unity of our mission? As I mentioned, we do this by understanding our unity is birthed in God. It's in Christ. It's God's family. We're brothers and sisters. God birthed it. We do this by taking seriously our call to church membership, this mission that we have to worship God, image God, and make disciples with the gospel. We do this by guarding the gospel together in accountable living and giving. God. Yeah, I love that prayer. I want to give to you, Lord, with all that I am. We, we sustain this vision of the church and mature, listen, maturing gracious relationships that are accountable, mature, gracious. And then we do this by restoring the repentant as we have been restored in Christ. It is a glorious activity, church, that shines forth the redemptive nature of our God. Our God is a redeemer. Thank God that he's a redeemer. His gospel in Christ is a gospel of restoring what is broken. We bring our jalopies in that don't run, that are a mess, and they come out looking beautiful. It's called salvation. And one day, the jalopy of this world, that it is beautiful, but it's nothing compared to how God first created it before sin, is going to be restored. We all get to ride in it. This is our God, and we image him. When we walk in restorative discipline. So church, or uh, worship team, come on. Let me pray. And then we're going to sing this song that we sang, All I Have is Christ. I love that song. Is he enough for you? Though you slay me, ask that question. And then the third song is, All I Have is Christ. You're enough. You're enough. Mm-hmm. You're enough. Lord, help us, uh, those of us that are maybe in the throes of going through some difficult times, um, those of us who can be tempted to be vindictive because we feel like, you know, got some stuff happening. (laughs) Um, May we hear your voice. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And may we realize that we put you there and you're forgiving us. You died for us when we were your enemies. That's just amazing. You were merciful to the ungrateful and the evil. That's us. Luke 6 speaks of that. Help us, Lord, to both be formative and embrace formative church discipline and the process to stay on message with a lifestyle that honors you. And when we stumble, we have one another to be gracious with. And when we have those that are unrepentantly sinning, that we can graciously have the reformative church discipline, always with restoration in mind. That your name would be glorified in South Florida. May we know that every moment we suffer through that process, there's an eternal weight of glory being built up. Give us that faith now as we sing. All I have is Christ. Let's stand. The the first line, Amanda, if you would put verse one up there. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. Isn't that true of all of us? The sin that promised my joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. Listen, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Why don't you sing to God with a grateful heart? And if you, if you are not saved, may these words convict you. God, God is calling you to repent and believe. You would trust him. Amen. All right, let's sing that song.